What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame, for sponsoring us. And let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March. Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyedere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, the African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? And most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call? To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. Yeah, hey guys, I hope everyone is doing well. I'm just going to briefly mention a bit of a caveat. The first part of the podcast is in strict reference to black on white prejudice. So when I say that black people can be racist, I'm referring to that situation. But black people can be racist to other people who are POC, and we'll describe that towards the end of the podcast. So don't come for me. Love you guys. What is up, everyone? I hope you're having a great day. Today, we're going to be getting into a very, very interesting topic, one that is very controversial, but one that I simply feel a lot of people deliberately choose to misunderstand. When we talk about race, when we talk about prejudice, when we talk about systemic power, people don't realize the complexities or nuances that are surrounded with these topics. And I think that I'm just going to get straight to the point of the video. Um, sorry, the podcast. And essentially spell it out what my beliefs are in regards to this topic. The question is, can black people be racist? My answer is no. And when people hear this, automatically they think, oh, wow, that's already a cop-out. All you're trying to do is escape accountability and from here the argument just sort of goes down from the point of view of this is unfair you know you want to talk about justice you want to talk about equality martin luther king wouldn't have liked this all this nonsense that we hear right quite frankly i think it's it's based on a view that is very it's unsubstantiated in my view and it is extremely if you look at the evidence it is misinterpreting what racism is and what racism has been. So we're gonna get straight into that 
and we're going to get into some definitions in relation to this video slash podcast. So let's get into it. We, I mean, I'm going to use, obviously, people like to bring up, oh, th- this is the definition of racism in the dictionary. Well, um, my answer to that, especially when it comes to heavily debatable and complex theories, even within politics, you have things that are called essentially contested concepts. So things like democracy, things like capitalism, things like communism, there are debates being had about what those words truly mean, what those concepts truly mean. So for someone to come and point to the Oxford Dictionary or the Cambridge Dictionary and tell me that this is somewhat authoritative and has a monopoly over the discourse surrounding racism, I can clearly tell that that person has not done their homework, nor nor do they understand the complexities surrounding the topic of race in general. So I'm not going to work with a dictionary definition because it does not... It does not match reality in my opinion and it does not serve any purpose of trying to help the black community or create a more equitable society so i decided to use this definition from an organization called the alberta civil liberties research center and they have a little glossary in in their website you can go check them out but They basically said this, that racial prejudice refers to a set of discriminatory or derogatory attitudes based on assumptions deriving from perceptions about race or skin color. Racial prejudice can be directed at white people, e.g. white people can dance, but it is not considered racism because of the systemic relationship of power. Now, what is power? Again, another essentially contested concept that you cannot rely on a dictionary to define. I said that it is the ability to enforce one's will, simple as. And if you want to relate that to certain things, I would say that this is how we start to see how the discussion shifts, actually. Because how do you get power? How do you allow yourself to have more capacity to be able to enforce your will upon other people? Simple answer. Institutional power. Or even before we get to institutional power. Things like money. If you want to go and buy a donut, you have, let's say, I don't know, 500 shillings. And the donut is 300 shillings. You go to the shop, you're using... That is power in a very small way. It's power. That money allows you to enforce your will. You want to get a donut, you'll get your donut. On a larger scale, if you have institutional power in the form of a corporation that is a multi-billion dollar corporation, what you find is that you have the ability to enforce your will even in parliament, even in the government itself. You're able to lobby entire parties to give rulings that you want. And we'll get into this a bit later. But one other way to do that is through the media. The media can easily paint people, entire groups of people as good or bad. We've seen this in all forms of systemic oppression of groups of people, whether it's through the newspapers, the printing press, books, films and youtube even tiktok twitter whatsapp groups etc media in general can be used or can be a way of enforcing institutional power another thing is economic power we've already mentioned this forms of corporations stock market all these different things 
then of course we have governmental power which is at the state level but there's also international power we cannot discuss racism without talking about colonialism and slavery and how essentially these were the main events worldwide transatlantic slavery and colonialism coupled together are some of the most important events and processes in the past 200 years and essentially till today we still see the effects of that so we're going to get right into that so as we already mentioned in the first part of the podcast black people can just get away scot free black people can be racially prejudiced even though that nature is distinctly different to the way white people might be racially prejudiced towards black people they still can be prejudiced in a racial fashion and we're going to get into that and that just should relieve people of any stress that they have because you still can call people out for being prejudiced and by the way just just so you know we're talking about black and um sorry white to black um racism that's what we're talking about for the, for most of this podcast we're going to get to different forms of racism from black people to other poc and we're going to get uh into that a bit later but i just need to sort of zoom in on this argument a bit so we've already talked about racial prejudice and we've talked about power power is the ability to, to enforce your will whether it's through those institutions whether it's through the media economic power etc now look at it this way if you are racially prejudiced and your will in this case is to uphold systems of white supremacy then if you couple that with power institutional power through the media through ownership of large sections of the economy through governmental and international power there will be nothing that will be able to match your level of racial prejudice plus power which is racism essentially and as we see and i'll mention this again all racial prejudice has the capability of becoming racism and it starts very small but we'll get into it for example if you're being racist towards a black person this is from a white person to a black person it starts very small you start to and as you see power starts to build up constantly and we'll we'll use this as an argument to sort of differentiate between black people being racially prejudiced towards white people and white people being racist towards black people it starts very very small but let's start off in a school for example you don't like someone because they're black and you're a white person you exclude them from the lunch table then later on you decide you know what uh, a lot of people you find that a lot of people are actually supporting you and they think you know what black people aren't too nice um let's not even have them in our schools now you have the power to enforce your will as we said to uphold systems of white supremacy so you kick black people out of your schools and you realize that you know what they shouldn't even work with you and this is how racism and capitalism get intertwined you do not want black people to be able to access wealth so what do you do you essentially economically oppress them they even this still still, still exists till today in the form of discrimination in the workplace we've talked about ethnic penalty go read the research papers about ethnic penalty specifically in Europe and the UK just such ethnic penalty in the uh, in the employment and labor market and you will find those specific um journals that lead you to those answers 
But if you also look at it from this way now, we now have gotten involved with money. You say that they shouldn't have access to wealth. You know what? They shouldn't even get the same respect as you. And also, how do you enforce these rules that you've created for yourself? You essentially just create laws because now white people have a majority in parliament. You say, let us enforce these specific laws. So you go ahead and you ex- you enforce those laws. Now black people can work; they cannot vote. You're depriving them of all forms of power to be able to enact their will, which is essentially to live their lives. So you have taken power from them and you vested it in essentially purifying, in quotes, your race or purifying your society from, in quotes, the stench of black people. You know, this is what white supremacy looks like. And it's exactly what happened from slavery to segregation. Now, you also enforce it socially by reinforcing racial stereotypes through the media. And we've seen this. Um, there's, I think there's a film called, is it Birth of a Nation? I believe that, that's, what it, that, that's what it's called. One of the first movies to bring forward this trope of, uh, oh, the black men are going to rape your white women. These are the kinds of things we're talking about. You socially reinforce them. You've economically reinforced this ideology that is racist now because now it's become a system. And then, of course, now we can talk about slavery, you can talk about colonialism and how that further, it furthered this system of systemic racism. So that's, so that's the main thing you need to keep in mind. Now you've developed an entire system. And if we look at it this way, this is exactly how, as I've said, racial prejudice can turn into racism. And the reason why I say that, we'll get into another section, but... The reason why I say this is if you compare, you, like, why would you call it racism if racial prejudice and racism as a whole, they function on two fundamentally different levels? I'm going to give an example very, like, shortly. Now, as a law student, I've, I've been acquainted with, obviously, the criminal justice system and the, the, the underlying principles that try and establish fairness within the system. And one of those things is called the principle of fair labeling. When you put someone in jail as a murderer, the title, i.e. murderer, ideally should be matching the sentence that they're getting. And people will be able to look at it and say, hey, justice has been manifestly been seen to be done, essentially. Justice has been seen to be done. And now that's a really important thing we need to look at in relation to labeling fair labeling in this case is it truly fair to label racism even on the systemic level right racism or racial prejudice that has existed in the forms of a system which now we've called racism is it fair to compare that to a small level of racial prejudice that black people may have exhibited in the past is that truly fair even though one has existed almost entirely in a systemic fashion, in a very powerful, gruesome fashion, and you want to compare that to racial prejudice from the black community towards white people, you're going to tell me that the N-word, for example, carries the same weight as certain slurs that are used towards white people? I beg your pardon? I beg your pardon? It makes no sense to me. One clearly packs a harder punch. And now if we come to the principle of fair labeling, this is one part 
obviously where it gets a bit controversial but i'll give you an example you can have someone that intends fully well they know they want to kill someone they premeditated it they kill that person of course we agree they should go to jail right but now keep in mind uh, another example keep it, keep that in mind and let's go to another example you have someone who lives in an abusive household right and then one day they decide to kill the person that was abusing them right if you look at those two situations you'd be more hesitant to call the latter person a murderer than the first person and this is why i'm mentioning the situation of fair labeling hey guys so let me just explain this example a bit more so i'm not trying to illustrate the fact that black people when being prejudiced to white people are doing so in order to respond to systemic racism or in a bid to try and reverse the system of systemic racism that's not what i'm trying to to say what i am trying to do is just highlight the differences and the nuance behind labeling people that might seem to be doing the same thing but there's different context behind their acts so for example the person who is abused and then they're going to kill their abuser some people might even argue that that person is less culpable than the person who just decided to randomly kill someone so if we look at it from that perspective it's important to know how we're labeling certain acts and not just using generic terms like oh they're a murderer and there's much more nuance in relation to that <clears throat> now when it comes to another example i would like to compare these two different things prejudice and racism are uh, more like a nerf gun someone getting shot by a nerf gun and someone getting shot by a 50 cal bullet both of them got shot but obviously one person is going to be hurt significantly more compared to the other person and this is exactly what i'm saying why does one person have more firepower than the other person the main reason for this is you just simply look back into history and the white community has single-handedly compounded institutional power to produce these stereotypes and these insults that we're seeing still alive today and many have sort of died but they're still sort of there and they can easily be used to have the same effect and they are generally more powerful if if not all of them are more powerful than any sort of prejudicial statement that a black person can make towards a white person so let's try and look at it from that lens so if you look into the past those situations surprisingly they do actually yeah they mirror what has been happening especially to black people and to white people right over the course of history you cannot deny the existence of colonialism and slavery we can talk about king leopold and the 15 million congolese that died at that at that hand we talk about the herero namakwa genocide in which more than 80,000 people were killed you can talk about how the masai were eliminated by smallpox not fully but a substantial amount of some masai people in the late 1890s were killed by smallpox stuff like that we can talk about how even just in general if we come to colonialism native americans were almost essentially wiped out we can talk about the aboriginals and then you want to try and equate those people for example using uh being prejudiced towards white people to what has essentially been an entire system that has been oppressing them for hundreds of years for me it doesn't make sense and i close that argument by saying that's not fair labeling it is not in any way shape or form fair labeling which is why people get so confused 
when you say when a black person for example talks about having historically black colleges right and or something like you know having you know support black businesses people calling that racist like how how on earth and this is exactly why I tell you it does not match reality that definition does not match reality because if it did then truly fairly and truly we can say today people say, saying in quotes support black businesses is racist you could be saying that but it clearly isn't because what is it there to do it is there to undo what systemic racism has done to the black community and the fact that black businesses we can talk about the Tulsa race riots and how black wall street was essentially destroyed we can talk about all of that right but if it was truly fair to label both as racism then you would be implying that we have a, f- a fully fair society in which all groups have equal access to institutional power so let's actually close off that argument but we'll get into different um another section where we'll talk about what about black people being racist to other non-white groups that's a very key part that we will not neglect to mention you know what i find interesting is that a lot of people wonder oh well if you want to talk about um you know who has systemic power who has institutional power if you want to talk about that then how is it that a black person you know can be racist to other non-white groups even though they themselves also do not have institutional power right as well as the black community doesn't have institutional power in several different countries all around the world and even just around the world the colonial system and i've said this as a whole the institution of colonialism and slavery they have shaped the world in such a way whereby certain majority white countries have privilege as a whole as a country especially if you're a white person living in that country internationally you will have privilege even the way your passport you can go to different countries all these political arrangements all of the resources all of the wealth all of the institutions that you have all of these banks like we mentioned barclays had its roots in slavery hsbc had its roots in slavery lloyds had its roots in slavery in fact lloyds used to be a coffee house in london where they used to leave runaway slaves all of this comes into play and this is what i'm telling you guys there's international forms of privilege so if you want to talk about even on a global level it's very unlikely that a black person or uh, yeah a non-black person can in fact be racist towards white people because by and large slavery and the institutions of colonialism were policed they were put into place they were um they were cultivated by white, the the white community in general So that's one thing we need to to remember. But now if you view that and you view all of these racist stereotypes, all of these systems that were put there to oppress whether it was Asians, whether it was um obviously people who are Desi, whether it was people who are black. If you look at all of these institutions, the same way that I put it, if you're in a country where white people have a monopoly on institutional power, and for example you're a black person and you're being racist towards an asian specifically east asia right for example someone comes from japan china if you are racist to those people what you've done is you've borrowed institutional power and now people might be thinking oh wow the mental gymnastics no it's that simple 
an institution already exists that is currently oppressing those people. And what you're doing is you're using parts of that system to now act as an agent of that system in oppressing that other person. So the power in itself cannot come from you as a black person. It comes from the system. And you are using that system as a way to oppress POC, essentially. That's why it works in those sectors. That's what you need to keep in mind. And that's exactly what you need to see. Now, obviously, it functions differently in different situations where institutional power is involved, but I would term it as a form of internalized racism. We're going to focus on countries where white people are the ones who are, they, they have the institutional power, and we've mentioned that. Then another example that I've heard, can South Africa be racist? I am so embarrassed for my people today. I am so embarrassed for my people today. Wow, guys, I mean, you can go to my other podcast and listen to it. But even if South Africa has a government that is fully black or majority black, overwhelming majority black, and I I stated this at the beginning, that does not mean that they have a monopoly on institutional power. Till today, you can still see the effects of apartheid. I mean, come on, apartheid ended in the 90s. Mid-90s, basically. And you want to tell me that somehow black people have gained all of the institutional power back. Even though you can still see the generational effects, more than 70% of the land is owned by a 9% population of white people, and white people make up over 50% of senior positions in the private sector. Keep that in mind. And I think it was in 2010, between 2020 to 2013, white people on average would earn six times more than black people, who still has institutional power now. Think about it from that perspective. It is extremely difficult. And the only way that I could imagine it is perhaps if obviously the government decided that they were going to overthrow all of these private sector heads, take all of that institutional power, pass laws to deliberately oppress white people. In that case, I may be willing to change my mind. But it really depends. It really, really, truly depends. Because even still in that situation, right, you can see the generational effects of apartheid. But if it, for example, you have an entire black government or a majority, overwhelming majority black government, and that government has, I mean, obviously black people, let's say, the moment that black people have, you know, full control of the economy, full control of the government, full control of the media, and keep this in mind on an international scale because colonialism was also international. The moment that black people can build that institutional power to the point where it reaches an international state and you can do something similar to the magnitude of slavery and colonialism and segregation and apartheid and systemic oppression, uh, uh, systemic oppression throughout Africa and during the colonial period in England as well, the moment that you can be able to do all of that, right, only then will I see it as equal. But I'd say this as well, yeah, it is possible, right, but it'll be, I don't even think we'll see it in our lifetime. The day that we can be able to go outside, and I, I assume, I hope, one of, of us, I never hope this happens, but 
uh it's obviously something that is very it's very unlikely given the current circumstances the moment that we can go outside and find that oh there is a black only uh shop and white people are getting lynched to the same degree as black people white people have been fully enslaved white people um there's certain laws about uh, that are currently like oppressing white people deliberately they're very overt not even covert the moment that we start seeing that on a world scale right only then will we match in in even like the slightest form of what racism truly is and this is why i tell people it's very very shallow extremely shallow for people to try and make it seem as if racism is something that can happen on an individual level only or it can oh but individual and systemic to individuals are part of the system so why disqualify that why take them as if they're in a vacuum do people just when i'm in my room alone right does that mean that i cease to exist and all the societal effects uh or the effects that society has on me uh does that mean that those cease to exist no individuals are part and parcel of the system and therefore to separate the individual from the system in my opinion is fallacious thank you guys that's going to wrap it up for today i really hope you learned something from this feel free to engage feel free to rebut but obviously with sense because this is a very complex topic if you don't understand go back and listen again it's not meant to it's also not necessarily the system of race is not necessarily meant to make sense it was created in an arbitrary fashion mainly for the sake of financial gain so i urge you to listen well to read up on the effects of slavery capitalism colonialism working in a system to oppress the black community in general and you will truly realize how absurd it is to claim or to even label racial prejudice from black people to white people as racism it makes no sense to me in my opinion it is it is a very distilled version of viewing history as a whole individuals as i've said are part and parcel of the system so even if you want to talk about individual to individual uh, racism that's a different topic for another day thank you guys so much and have a wonderful day and i'll see you in the next episode